Say hello, welcome to the Big Sky Breakdown. Coulter Nuanez, as always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. Coming to you on October 21st, this podcast, previewing Montana State's matchup against the University of North Dakota. We have audio from Jeff Choate's press conference on Monday in Bozeman. Montana State, a bye last week. Their last outing, a 34-21 loss to Sacramento State. A loss that snapped a five-game winning streak for the Bobcats. Now they head to Grand Forks to take on the Fighting Hawks of North Dakota. Interesting fold here because North Dakota is technically not in the Big Sky Conference, but they're playing a Big Sky Conference schedule for one final year. So eight Big Sky Conference games, and they've been competitive in league play so far, and they've been really good at home. They beat Sam Houston State when Sam Houston State was in the top 25. Sam Houston State back in the top 25 after a 17-0 win over Nichols. Uh, earlier, or I guess last week, and uh, North Dakota has been good across the board. They beat UC Davis when they were a top twenty team uh, in North Dakota as well. So it's been a tough place to play. A new cast of characters for North Dakota. Nate Ketteringham, former Sacramento State quarterback, is the quarterback there at UND. No more John Santiago. No more Brady Oliveria. I know that's something that's music to the ears of coaches around the rest of the Big Sky Conference. Those guys were studs. But James Dohannison, he spearheads that run game. And they have some more improved receivers on the outside. A little bit more of a spread offense than maybe you're used to seeing. On the other side of the ball, Donnell Rogers spearheads their odd man front defense. And they're going to swarm you. They're going to blitz you. They're going to put a ton of pressure on you. They want to make tackles for loss and force turnovers just like they always have. So it should be an interesting matchup. Here's what Jeff Choate had to say about his team's bye week, as well as the matchup with UND. As always, this Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Town Pump. No matter where you're at in Montana, there's a Town Pump food store near you. Go hit them up. They have all sorts of baked goods, snacks, great jerky. I love the jerky there. It's delicious. Great beer prices, great and wine prices if you want to grab something on your way home. And if you're traveling across the state, which I'm sure many of you are, and I bet you some of you are even going from Montana to North Dakota, Hit up a town pump before you leave the state's borders. It's going to be your best prices and your best availability anywhere in the state. Big Sky Breakdown also presented in part by Selway Armory. Selway Armory's got locations in both Missoula and Bozeman. Get your butt to the Selway Armory in Bozeman. The new one out, Jackrabbit Lane, is gorgeous. It's a huge space. All sorts of wonderful firearm inventory, whether it's rifles, handguns, Sig Sours. They got all sorts of great prices on all the fanciest stuff. Remington rifles all over the board. They got you covered. They also have great prices on ammunition. Expert advice, tick the Selway Armory Challenge. Shop with Selway Armory for a year. We guarantee you you're going to save money compared to the big box stores. Without further ado, Jeff Choate previewing North Dakota. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. All right, keep this short and sweet. Um, No recap, unless you guys want to hear about my rain-soaked weekend in Seattle. Um, So, yeah, uh, University of North Dakota. This is uh, Coach Schweigert's got an identity there, I think defensively in particular. They've really uh, uh, kind of been the same group. This will be the third time that we've played them in my four years here, Uh, second time that we've gone over there. Tough environment. They're playing very, very well at home. They're a completely different team. I mean, it's almost like watching two different teams at times. And uh, I think the, the Eastern Washington game is a little bit weird because the weather was so awful that I think that affected really both teams' ability to kind of do what they wanted to do. And uh, Eastern did a nice job with uh, with Barry A's a run threat, kind of creating some matching problems for them. And and uh, did a nice job in the run game. And then Idaho State kind of got on them early with some deep passes and uh, created some takeaways. And... Uh, but they just they don't look different at home. They play fast, uh, confident, and you can tell they feed off that crowd. And uh, it's a, it's an impressive looking group. I think offensively, 
very multiple, much more so maybe than they have been in the past. In the past, you'd get a lot of the uh, unbalanced sets and the extra offensive linemen and, um, you know, very, very heavy in the run game. And they're still committed to running the football, but they're much more balanced. I think they do a nice job of managing the perimeter. The Ketteringham, the quarterback, I think does a really good job of box counting. And if he likes the numbers advantage on the perimeter of the offense, he's going to get the ball out there. They've got a really big physical receiving core. I think it creates matchup problems for a lot of teams, especially in the red zone. They'll hit a lot of back shoulder fades. Um, I think all three of their starting receivers are listed at 6'4". And so it's a, you know, kind of a matchup problem on the perimeter of the offense a lot of times, not just in the pass game, but also because those guys are so big, they're really good at blocking on the perimeter of their offense. And so that's kind of what I see there. Uh, they got kind of a one-two punch at running back. The big kid, Johansson, 33, is uh, he's a load man. I mean, there's guys making some business decisions when he comes through the hole and getting out of the way. And then 35, a little bit more of a complete back. I wouldn't say he's a scat back because he's a six-foot, 190-pound guy. Uh, but they do use him a little bit more in the pass game. And so I think I like their balance on offense. I think their quarterback is a very efficient player for them. Um, offensive line, you know, as, as always, big physical group that they have there at the University of North Dakota under Coach Schweigert. Uh, on defense, um, man, these guys, I, I just like watching this team play defense because they play hard. I mean, they run to the ball. Um, your inside linebacker, 44, is their leading tackler. And that guy, I mean, he's a sideline to sideline player at six foot one, 238 pounds, I think he's listed at. But I mean, he's physical that you can tell these guys, I mean, they're coached the right way. Uh, great passion for the game. Really enjoy watching this group play. Um, they create a lot of problems for you because they're pre and post snap movement. They'll stem a bunch pre snap. And then post snap, they're going to do a lot of stunning and looping, about a 34, 35% blitz percentage. Uh, you get into a pass game against them, you don't want to do that. I mean, I think UC Davis is a prime example of that. The drop back pass game, they're going to they're gonna get their hits on the quarterback. They're going to create problems. They're a very good tackling team, uh, very good tackling team. And, and, and it, not just their front seven, their, their DBs tackle well. And so they don't give up a ton of big plays. You kind of got to earn it against this group. And uh, in the kicking game, they've got an explosive returner. He didn't play last week uh, against uh, – Against Cal Poly, I'm not sure why. Number one kid from Seattle, it's a, he's, he's dynamic. He's got some juice to him. And then Mikey Greibel's little brother is their punt returner. And so uh, a little bit of a connectivity there between uh, the Bobcats and the, and the Fighting Hawks. But, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, this is your typical big sky deal. You turn them on and you're like, they're way better than you want them to be. And uh, we're going to have our hands full. I mean, it's like I said, it's a tough environment to play in. you got that student section right behind you. I know it's a 11 o'clock mountain kickoff, but that's not going to matter. They'll be in the parking lot starting about 6 a.m., shotgunning beers and doing whatever it is they do over there. And, uh, it'll be interesting. And so, you know, that was one thing I definitely remember from our last trip there is that they have done their homework and uh, they're, you know, you better have some earplugs in. I, I got called some new names. I didn't, I didn't really... And I've been called a lot of names, and so it was interesting. But uh, that's kind of what I see. I like the edge players on defense. I think the, they built it right, 55 and 15, really good players. Uh, 25, active safety, 44, really good tackler at linebacker. With that being said, take any questions. You mentioned how inconsistent they can be. How do you kind of approach that in your game plan? Well, you, we know who they are at home. They haven't been inconsistent at home. They beat Sam Houston State, who's leading the Southland Conference with a 4-1 conference record right now. Uh, beat Drake and they beat uh, you know Cal Davis who at the time was a top 10 team and so uh, that's all we have to do to get the, our guys attention to say this is this is who we're playing and we're not playing the team that played at Idaho State we're not playing you know this team or that team we're playing the team that got after Cal Davis and probably that game shouldn't have been as close as it was. It's interesting because you've, you've seen Ketteringham before but when it was at Sacramento State yeah. and um, it seems like he 
is able to make a lot of plays with the game on the line. Um, certainly did it last week as well. So what do you see in him, and, and what do you remember about that first matchup? I don't remember much. Um, yeah, I kind of blocked that one out of my brain. But uh, I remember Chris Murray made a bunch of plays in that game, and he's not here anymore. So it would have been nice to have Chris Murray and Ketteringham, you know, reunite again. Reunite again. But I, here's the thing. I mean, I think this kid does what they ask him to do very well. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a quarterback who gets up to the line of scrimmage, and if you're two over two on the outside, they got their RPO, and he's going to get the ball out there. Um, and he's an accurate passer. He's got big targets, and certainly he takes advantage of that. I think especially, like I said, I mean, not all of these guys, they're 6'4 guys, so they're, they're kind of build-up speed guys, not very short area quick, but um, he will throw them open and use their catch radius, whether that's a back shoulder or a 50-50 ball. And he has a lot of confidence in those guys down the field. And, uh, and then they kind of got this number four who's kind of a, I mean, you know, you think he's a Kevin Cassis, and then you look at the roster and he's 6'2", 212. So he's more of a Troy Anderson than he is probably a Kevin Cassis in terms of, you know, his style of running. And they'll use him in a wildcat and uh, get the ball to him in a variety of ways as well. There's physical on defense. They've always been able to run the ball. But with that added element in the pass game, how much do you have to emphasize that, especially with some of their RPO action? It's, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's just changed the game. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time they had six guys 12 yards downfield on their offensive line and they're still throwing a slant, you know. But it's not going to – I mean, I, it hasn't been called. It has not been called against them in one game. And so um, that's just the, the, the rules have changed. And it makes it more and more difficult to play defensive football. And because we don't even enforce the rules. You can have offensive linemen, you know, like I said, 8, 10, 12 yards downfield at times blocking a safety, and they're throwing a slant behind the safety. I, I just don't know how you, how you equate that to what we're supposed to be doing here. But um, that's, that's the way modern football is. I mean, you know, we got worked over pretty good on some RPOs a couple weeks ago against Sac State. I think a lot of <clears throat> what you have to do to defend against that is you've got to talk them out of it pre-snap. But you can't do it at the risk of being out of position when the ball snapped. And so that's where the premium is on, you know, having smart players and understanding how defenses or how offenses are trying to attack you. Um, you know, you get these linebackers, we call it a run-pass conflict, where you, you're responsible first as a run defender. And, and, you know, that Mike linebacker dives in on a, on a zone fake and that ball comes right behind him and, uh, and that's tough to defend. And so you've got to cover that guy up a little bit. And I think getting creative with what we're doing in terms of our pre-snap looks has got to be something that we take a better look at and then that was a, a focus for us in the bye week because we're going to see other teams that do this and I think that uh, that's the evolution that you can see of the UND offense it's not just hey we're just gonna I mean they had those two backs it seemed like forever and they were both really good players and uh, and I still think they have some really good running backs but um, they are I'd say you know more of a spread offense now than they are a power offense and I know that's even though they're still running the elements of what they used to do, when you look at them on tape, I think they're probably more spread-oriented. How did you evaluate the week just in terms of some of that self-scout and some of that improvement? Yeah, I think that was critical. I mean, the coordinator stuck around and uh, we you know, dug in on Sunday and Monday really hard and looked at us. And I think we definitely, you know, I mean, clearly every team develops tendencies. Play callers develop tendencies. And I think you've got to look at that and you've got to see it for what it is and uh, recognize that sometimes, you know, those are the calls that are dictated by the game situation. And uh, everybody kind of is who they are by midway through the season anyway. And you can't really reinvent yourself. But I think you've got to be self-aware and know that, hey, in this situation, we've been doing this a lot. And, and you've got to be willing to adjust. And that was a big part of the emphasis on the first part of the week. And then, uh, you know, pretty much, I don't know, I'm, I'm hoping those guys did a lot of work while we were gone. I was, I was on the road recruiting and, um, 
you know, got back and they had the scattering report done, so that was positive. And uh, we're, you know, on to North Dakota State. We had a little light practice on Sunday, kind of blow the weekend out a little bit. And, uh, you know, back at it this morning. It was beautiful, nice snowy day out there. It was awesome. You think you're able to maybe turn the corner a little bit on some of the guys who've been hobbled and, and shaken out there? I'd like to think so, but I don't really, you know, I mean, at this stage, like I said, I mean, there's certain guys that are just going to play with what they have. And there's, it's probably not going to get a lot better until they get a couple of weeks off uh, at the end of the season, quite honestly. I mean, there's guys that are, you know, whether it's Logan Jones with those ribs that he had, a few, a few, those don't feel better in the season. <laughs> You'd like to think they do, but uh, you kind of deal with it. And so uh, we're not unlike anybody else. Everybody's got, you know, nicks and bruises and dings, and there's certainly some guys that we'd like to get back, and we're hopeful that maybe that's going to happen, but it, it, it's just a matter of time. Brady Consul's played a lot of that big nickel and that package with three safeties. How much have you liked that? Where has it progressed? Do you continue, hope to continue to use that package? Yeah, I think it, it's all about matchups, you know, and that's, a, that's something that we're always paying attention to is I think Braden's played linebacker and he has a big body and he, he's, a better, he's a better coverage guy than I think a lot of people give him credit for. And so uh, he does create uh, a good matchup for us there. And I think that some of it is really like predicated on Troy's role on offense sometimes too. Uh, because we feel like Troy can do a lot of the same types of things. And so, um, you know, we'll probably play a little bit more base defense against this group because they do run a little bit more 12 personnel. But uh, that's a package that I think has been good to us for the most part. How about the, the health of Troy? Uh, is, is, is his injury, I know a little bit of a lower leg, leg injury, is that an injury that can progress in this amount of time, maybe in a bye week? Yeah, I'd say probably, and I'm, I'm speculating here, Troy probably has the same injury that Dalton Sneed has. And he had it, and it happened against SEMO. And the kid hasn't missed a game except for the one I held him out of. Uh, I don't know that he's going to get significantly better, but he's one tough dude, I'll tell you that. Does this feel like a conference game, even though North Dakota? It is a conference game. Yeah, well, I mean, so thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. You want to talk about that, or should we just hold off? I mean, I'm probably going to get fined for talking about our scheduling stuff. So. Um, it's a conference game for us. And I pointed that out to our players yet on Sunday. I make sure they understand the significance of this game for us. And uh, also pointed out that there's been a couple teams that have rolled out there to North Dakota and maybe not uh, understood the importance of that and paid the price. And so, I mean, this is a huge, huge game for us. I mean, huge game for us in terms of uh, with the way this season sets up, coming off the bye week, getting that taste out of our mouth from that Sacramento State who evidently is a pretty good football team, you know. And so um, I tried to tell you guys that a couple weeks ago, but you didn't want to li listen to me. So any other questions? Yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you talked about them being kind of a mid-pressure uh, defensive team that's pressuring about 35% of the time. Do you consider that high? Um, and, and how do you go about pass pro, some of the things that were an issue against Sacramento State, fixing those things? Well. I mean, we only gave up four sacks, so I don't know how you look at it. We also threw for more yards, but um, they're a different team. The problem with Sac State was their one-on-one -on -one matchups, right? I mean, it was 99 and 95. Those were the problems. And so um, we also had some problems with our backs going the right way in protection. And we've got that cleaned up. I, I think I've got Coach McGee's attention on that. And I spent a little time working with the running backs last Wednesday. And, um, you know, I mean, I think – you can't have those self-inflicted wounds when you're playing good teams. And some of it's, like I said, going to be matchup related. I don't know that I would consider these guys. I mean, 
Cal Poly blitzed us like 70% of the time, okay? I'd say that we were probably in that 40, 45% range against, against uh, Sac State. So I wouldn't say this group is any higher of a pressure group. They, they do a lot of movement. And so even if they're not blitzing, you know, they're not bringing an extra body, there's always some kind of twisting or stunting going on up front. And so you've got to, you know, you've got to play with great technique and pass those things off, communicate with one another up front. Um, the backs and the tight ends have to, you know, do their job in terms of pass protection. And so I think there's some, you know, I like 55, I like 15. I think 15's got some juice off the edge. And um, those guys are guys that we're going to have to win some matchups on. Coming off the loss with the bye week, is it a time for any sort of drastic changes or is it just kind of small tweaks here and there? Yeah, I think, like I said, you kind of are who you are at this stage of the season. You know, it's about incremental improvement. The teams that separate themselves down the stretch are the ones that, you know, learn from their mistakes, clean up some things up, you know. Um, it's not like all of a sudden we're going to become, you know, a team that throws the ball 70 times a game and a team that blitzes 60% of the time. I mean, that's not going to be the answer to us playing better is going to be, you know, doing the things that we already spend a lot of time doing better. You know, and, and, and that incremental improvement, I think, is what separates teams down the stretch. We talked a little bit about the FCS and, and how many top 25 teams lost last week. Well, some more lost again during the your bye week. How important is it to bounce back, especially in the FCS? Yeah, I, I mean, every single week in this league is going to be a war. I said that a long time ago. And you even look, it's like you think, okay, hey, this team is not having a great year. We'll go play them and, you know, tell me that that's not a team that, doesn't have talent and you know everybody's got 63 scholarships everybody spends a ridiculous amount of their life watching each other on tape and um, you know nobody's leaving the office at 4:30. I mean everybody's up grinding everybody's trying to do the best that they can to prepare so the margin is so small um, there's not a huge differentiation between anybody at this level really I mean you would you know you, you look at like a James Madison with the facilities they have and the, and the money that they spend and the tradition that North Dakota State has so you've got these upper echelon teams that you know whether it's facilities investment whatever it might be but I think the Big Sky Conference by and large is a very uh, homogeneous group I mean it's everybody's kind of on a similar playing field even if you have an advantage in terms of the revenue that you might spend on football you might have a disadvantage in terms of your proximity to the recruits and so everything kind of levels itself out and it's a it's a really good league, and I mean I think it just keeps getting better and better. And you look at guys like Troy Taylor and the job he's doing at Sacramento State, and a, a guy that was a you know a Power Five coordinator just like Chris Ball was, and uh, the the coaching has gotten better and better in this league, and I think it's going to continue to be more and more challenging. You mentioned the kickoff time this week. Is it harder to get your energy going kind of earlier? We're ready to go at six thirty every morning. You guys never come to practice. I can't believe it. No, we're, I mean, I, like I told our guys that, and they were all excited. You know, they're like, yeah, we're good. We're, I, our guys don't like the late kickoffs. Like going to, I, I mean, and I mean this sincerely, and I hope that I do get fined for saying this. If we go to California, we should never play a late game. It should not, they, that should be a rule in this league. Either that or every time they come up here, we should make them kick off at 7 o'clock mountain when it's 22 degrees, you know. I, I just, I think that's a, that's, I mean, I understand why they're doing it, but it makes no sense to me. This is how college football should be played. Like, if the revenue stream dictates that we have to play a late game, I get it. You know, if I'm playing in the Pac-12 and they say, hey, you're getting $35 million a year from the Pac-12 network and you're going to play this game at 8 o'clock Pacific, okay, it is what it is. But, I mean, every game in this league should be played between a 12 and a 2 o'clock kickoff. Every game. And uh, I would like to be on record as saying that.